much for joining us back here at the next stop is the best stop podcast dj jason and i we're so glad to have you back for our next discussion um, this saturday evening um, we're actually going to do something a little bit different this time uh, the last project podcast episode that we had jason was out so we also talked about why he was out right and we wanted to him to give an opportunity uh, to really just show what he's going through, share those, uh, this, um, I guess, the condition that he has, and hopefully share some uh, awareness about that and use this podcast as a medium to do so. So we're going to get right started. Before I get started, DJ, Jason, you guys got anything to say? Mm, nothing in particular, just happy to keep the ball rolling and get it started. Okay, what about yep. you, Jason? Anything yep. before we get started? Okay, all right. Ready to go. Just glad to be here. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Jason, um, we're going to hand it over to you to talk about you and let the audience know what you're going through, and uh, DJ and I will pile in with questions as you go. All right? All right, sounds good. Well, thank you so much, and um, thank you, everyone, for the well wishes and the prayers, and um, really appreciate that. Uh, thank, I also want to make sure that I um, give a shout out and a, and a huge thank you to the amazing staff at Emory University Healthcare, especially under all of the stress and the conditions of the pandemic. The yes. staff and doctors and nurses provided great care, um, you know, even in the even despite all of the the other uh, stresses, stressors that they're having to balance. And actually, on the day that I ended up having to go into the emergency room, I noticed that they, are, they had created a special section for incoming COVID patients. So, wow. you know, for those who are questioning, you know, whether this, how serious the situation is, I mean, this is, this is a serious um, situation. It is having a tremendous impact on our healthcare system. And if you do happen to go into the ER, you will see. Um, that That's will remove yes. any doubt. If you if there are any remaining doubts, just visit your local hospital and mm -hmm. see what's happening. Mm -hmm. So this is um, a serious problem, and we need to take it seriously Agreed. and make sure that we can get out of this situation. Yes, um, but with all that said, um, I'll uh, spend a little bit of time talking a little bit about my experiences experiences plural with uh, kidney stones because there's. Been, I've had quite a few at this point. Um, before I go into too much detail at this point, I will. I do want to offer, especially under the current circumstances, a quick disclaimer, and just say that I'm I'm not a doctor. I just want to okay. make sure that I'm com communicating that these are my own experiences, and um, hopefully can share some information that's useful and provide you know those who are listening with um, information that they can follow up on with their own doctors. And also um, look up via uh, the internet or um, with other uh, healthcare professionals. So definitely uh, take a you know take what I'm saying and you know as my experience, and then of course circle back with your uh, with your own healthcare providers to get additional guidance about what makes sense. You know perhaps in your own situation. So just wanted to just wanted to say that real quick. Um, you know there are lots of people on the uh, in the uh, entertainment world and in various other environments that are offering their opinions about healthcare issues and I won't call any names Child. but I think 
might yeah. Call yeah. Call <laughs> yeah. We might get into that a little bit later, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, so with that said, um, I have actually had approximately ten kidney stones over a period of about ten to fifteen years. Oh Lord. Yeah, yeah. So in my case, they typically form in groups. So what will happen sometimes is that if you you have a stone and you know a lot of times you you will not know that they're forming and they could be several um, within your your kidney tissue and sometimes you may not realize that until one of them becomes or triggers inflammation and then when you're scanned they that will typically reveal that you may have one or two and in some cases perhaps more that may be um, causing problems or there it could be that one of those is causing a problem but the others have not become inflamed yet and that's one of the reasons that they always caution those who have had experiences with kidney stones that you are at high risk for having additional stones to either form or to have potential incidences of inflammation and and pain for a period of up to five to seven years after an incident. And so your risk your risk during that five to seven year period is about 50%. So Jeez. if you've had one, you are, you have, uh, it's a pretty good chance that you may have another one within that time period. That's the, that's based on the current research. And this is based on data that uh, my doctor at Emory um, in the ER shared with me. So we, we spent some time talking about some of the recent research and um, guidance that's been coming out over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And just um, just to make it clear that, you know, you know that's, statistically that's a possibility, but there are things that patients can do to, to of course, um, reduce the likelihood of having a recurrence. That's what I'm interested in, like yeah, what are abs- the, the preventative measures? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, before we get into some of that, I'll just mention that there are four, typically, um, four different general types of kidney stones. And I'll just kind of run through those real quickly. Um, Some stones are referred to as being calcium oxalate stones. Some may be struvite stones. Some may be uric acid-based stones. And some may be cysteine-based stones. And so I'll just kind of take those in turn the, mo- the most frequently occurring kidney stones are the calcium oxalate type. And those typically form when there's an imbalance in your, in your uh, tissues with an, a compound called oxalate that is actually produced naturally by your liver, but you can also, you can also, um, you can, there can be an opportunity for there to be an imbalance if you're ingesting a lot of certain kinds of food. So some of that, that may be related to um, a high meat diet. Um, if, you're, if you're ingesting a diet where you're, um, that's high in lots of sugar and salt, there's, those are contributing agents to, uh, to uh, oxalate formation. Um, there are certain kinds of foods that when eaten in an, and I'll talk about what I mean by the balance in a second, but um, there's even a lots of um, fruits and vegetables that also contain oxalate compounds. Chocolate is another oh, <laughs> contributor. No um, wonder people be having kidney stones. Yeah, <laughs> right. We're about to go to the hospital here. Right, you know, chocolate. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah, good stuff is bad for you. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, and that's that's the thing I was talking to the doctor about is that you know so many of the the potential contributors seem like they are the kinds of foods that you would want to eat. You know, even chocolate has lots of you know medicinal value to it, uh, depending on what kind of chocolate that you're eating. And so what the doctors, yeah, yeah. And, and so what what they're what physicians are will often say is that it's not that you can't eat those those foods it's just that it's about balance and it's about the um making sure that the other kinds of contributing or other kinds of um mitigating um steps you can take are also taking place so that you don't have this sort of constellation of issues that results in the formation of the stones so essentially when you're eating a high say a diet that's high in salt and sugar, and let's say you're drinking a lot of soda, so particularly like cola-based sodas, right? So like Coca-Cola, um, and you know any of those kinds of colas, right? I don't want to call out any one as if one is more problematic than another, but any of those kinds of uh, colas, those have a lot of oxalate compounds in them as well. And the interesting thing about it is that they're referred to as calcium oxalate stones because the the thing about it is that if you are actually ingesting enough calcium the calcium can bind to the oxalate before it gets into your before it has to be filtered through your kidneys Uh and that can help to reduce the amount Uh of um of compounds that are in your kidneys that can result in the formation of the crystals that ultimately start the 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 process of creating the stone Uh so that's kind of the odd thing about it right is that so if you're eating so the bottom line is that one of the things that the doctor was telling me is that if you're if you were ingesting just crazy amounts of calcium Mm -hmm. that's going to cause an imbalance Mm -hmm. if you're ingesting crazy amounts of oxalate compounds that's going to cause an imbalance and if you're not on top of that you're also not getting enough water Mm. and and you're also you know eating a lot of say snack foods that have all kinds of processed sugars and and fats and salts and all that stuff in it you're going to end up putting yourself at risk for that Uh now there's some other issues that i think are particular to uh, certain demographic groups that i think are important to raise too and that is is that for those who are experiencing lactose intolerance this can be a tricky issue right Uh so you're if you're lactose intolerant you're not going to be able to tap into or ingest a lot of the the sources for calcium that can kind of help keep the balance in place right Mm -hmm. so in my case that's what i've been experiencing so i'm lactose intolerant so for years and years i stopped you know drinking dairy you know ingesting most dairy products with the exception of like cheese i i seem to be able to tolerate that pretty well Mm -hmm. a long time ago um i will sometimes you know eat some ice cream anyway and just, you know, deal with it. <laughs> because <I> just, <laughs> but for the most part, you know, drinking milk is pretty much off limits, right? Or it was. So here's, so, you know, if you've been doing that over a long period of time, and on top of that, in my case, I, I think I'm definitely guilty of not drinking enough water at times, or on top of that, not drinking enough fluids, period. So there's, so I'm not the... I'm kind of one of those people that when I get really stressed, I tend not to my my appetite and mm-hmm. everything is suppressed, so I tend not to oh, okay. just do a whole lot of eating or drinking of anything. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think last year with all the <laughs> everything that was going on, <laughs> yeah. I just think I was, and plus 
you know, when you're not, at least for me, if I'm not moving around a lot, I just don't feel the um, impetus to eat a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, we're all stuck in the house for long periods of time, not getting a lot of exercise or moving around. And I think for me, that was a contributing factor in this, my latest experience with a kidney stone. Mm-hmm. So stress um, can bring it on, basically. Well, stress yeah, it, because it, you're not doing what you need to do, I guess. Right, okay. right. It can, it can have, you know, if it's, if it's affecting, you know, your ingestion of, you know, you know, proper, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's water mm-hmm. or eating the kind of foods that you need to eat mm-hmm. to help balance out the, uh, the, the, uh, the concentration of these compounds in your, in your bloodstream as well as ultimately in your urine stream, right? Because right. it's going to ultimately get filtered out in your kidneys. Right. Then that's kind of how you end up with this kind of imbalance. So just real quickly, I'll just mention the other kidney stones. Mm-hmm. So most people have calcium oxalate stones. So we just spent a lot of time talking about that, mm-hmm. but there, the, the four or three others rather are struvite stones, uric acid stones, and cysteine stones, as mm-hmm. I mentioned. Okay. Struvite stones are the kind that typically form if you have some kind of infection, so like okay. a urinary tract infection. Gotcha. Those are those can be really scary because those can form really fast. So from what what I was um, told by the doctor, mm-hmm. if you do have a stone that ultimately is determined to be struvite, that's mm-hmm. typically resulting from some type of infection somewhere in your urinary tract system. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a warning that there's probably something else going on somewhere in the okay. system. Okay. Yeah. Um, uric acid stones, again, that's another result of ingesting a really high protein diet. So if okay. you're eating a lot of meat and on uh, top of that not getting enough water, water. Okay. and other kinds of... Um, eating the other kinds of foods, which I'm going to mention in a second, that can help to balance out the concentrations of, of uric acid that are building up in your system. Okay. I mean, it's not surprising that that could ultimately form some kind of um, um, stone mm-hmm. or that may affect your kidneys given you know the amounts that are building up in your system. Mm-hmm. And there are also all, all kinds of metabolic disorders mm-hmm. that may be um, congenital that can also contribute to any of these kinds of stones so any of these can so is all it, be is it familiar mm-hmm. is it is it usually can it run in your family and you have a higher incident of it you know it could i mean that's a possibility in my case uh-huh. that that's not the case in, in in my um situation but that is something that i mean there there are definitely genetic markers associated with this um so you know there are some folks who actually you know, and actually the doctor was telling me this too, who would seem to be at high risk for developing stones and they just don't, you know, they're not sure exactly why that's the case. You know, they may be eating lots of meat, not, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. not drinking a lot of water, drinking right. beer and Coke and, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of other soda. And somehow they make it through their lifespan and don't, they may not experience it. Now, that's not to say that they haven't had a kidney stone mm-hmm. because most people probably throughout their life at some point will or have probably already had a kidney stone they just don't know it okay. they probably pass you know gotcha. naturally without ultimately being large enough that it got stuck which is basically Ooh. where the pain mm-hmm. starts and mm-hmm. so when the when the stone is forming you're you're basically you're getting crystals that are beginning to form mm-hmm. as the compounds are are beginning to concentrate and agglomerate mm-hmm. you know so it's almost like if you ever seen a picture of a snowflake mm-hmm. under a microscope you've seen how it has you know that that pattern and that formation mm-hmm. to it and mm-hmm. it's got those jagged edges to it right. 
So basically that's what's happening inside of you. And if you imagine those jagged edges, what they do to the inside Ooh, of your yeah. tissue, oh, yeah. that's yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah, that's exactly. And I heard that uh, for men at least, this is the closest that they'll ever feel like giving birth. Uh. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's <laughs> that's yeah, that's what they say. That's what they say, and I'm like, oh, oh my god! So my goodness, have you? Oh, I'm gonna let you finish. What what was a cysteine? Yes, yeah. So cysteine—that's another uh, potentially congenital issue. So okay. if you have um, a certain kind of situation with your kidneys that causes—I mm-hmm. mean, cysteine is basically an amino acid. Uh, and okay. if it's you know if there's something happening with your kidneys where it's a it's essentially your your kidneys are ex- allowing a lot of cysteine to mm-hmm. be passed through mm-hmm. on the kidney structure into your into your uh, ureters and then it ultimately starts to agglomerate and turn into a stone it's an imbalance that's caused basically by some kind of um, congenital issue or it could be caused by a metabolic disorder as well so okay okay wow Wow. i mean the the pain has got to be excruciating like do you get um like a heads up or is it just like acute like it's right there yeah so it in my case, what I have realized over time mm-hmm. is that, looking back on it, is that I think I probably had kidney stones even before I had this, you know, major situation with one years ago, mm-hmm. it, because I didn't, I didn't realize until after that experience what the pain uh, signals were, mm-hmm. and I when I started thinking back on it, it's like you know what I think I probably have experienced this before, but it it passed and it didn't become such an acute situation or it wasn't as as um painful to the point where i i had to stop what i was doing Mm -hmm. okay (laughs) so i mean and so and so to talk just real quickly about how this may manifest is that it typically feels like you've got some pain in your in your back Mm -hmm. and it may be on your left or right side Mm. and it feels kind of you know you you it's difficult to, to localize. So mm-hmm. at some point you may feel like it's like right under your rib cage in the mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. And then other times it may feel like it's moving down mm-hmm. your your sides. Okay. And that's kind of a signal that typically is associated with a kidney stone. And sometimes you're feeling it feels like it's moving down your side because it, it is. Like mm-hmm. the stone Ooh. is starting to, to move. Yeah. That was my it's question. on its way. Does it does it form in your kidneys and then just kind of work its way through your system down to your urinary tract or what yes so it it typically does form inside of the kidney itself and then it may dislodge and start to move through your ureter now in some cases it'll just move through you'll never know okay and that'll just be that i mean and that's why i think doctors will say that you know chances are you may have had one and just not known it um it's not uncommon for most people at some point to have one even if it's not something that causes a lot of pain uh-huh. um but those where you know if you you have these risk factors that may be caused by diet or for by other kinds of medical conditions that are going on mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. the kind of situation that results in a stone that can't get out of the ureter right it gets stuck somewhere as it's shifting out of the kidney and into that narrowing of that tube, mm. that's when the 
the Ooh. problem start right there. Ooh, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, and it, and there could be some things that you know. Once that happens, you know, you're getting fluids that are backing up into your kidney, mm. and, you know, wow. and that's causing, you know, a setup. You could get infection from that, right? Well, you 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 very much can, and in fact, so in the the first experience that I had with a kidney stone um, years ago, that's what happened. So I ended up having started out with a kidney stone, and when I went into the ER, they were. You know, they're running, you know, lots of tests just to kind of confirm what was happening. Mm-hmm. And then they did pick up that there was an infection in progress. So if, if you do go into the ER and they detect an infection, they're probably going to admit you because there's a danger of the infection spreading, mm-hmm. you know, in, in your, uh, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. There could be sepsis or other mm-hmm. kinds of um, um, infections that can rapidly spread in, mm-hmm. in that particular um mm-hmm portion of your of your body mm-hmm. that lower abdominal area so mm-hmm. wow. yeah yeah wow. so that so thankfully um you know there's lots of ways to treat this so those are some ideas for pre- prevention mm-hmm. um i guess we can you know talk about some of those in particular besides just avoiding some of those um trigger foods mm-hmm. um there are certain kinds of dietary changes you can make that can help with the situation so for example uh, if you're eating um, you know, of course, if you're drinking your water, that's something that we need to do that anyway, regardless, right? That helps to prevent kidney stones, but it's also just good for our, you know, the general mm-hmm. function of our bodies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But doctors will suggest that you add a little bit of lemon juice that um, adds nitrates mm-hmm. to the water. To the water, okay. Or, I'm sorry, not nitrates, excuse me. You don't want nitrates. You want, cit- <laughs> <laughs> you want citrates, excuse me. Okay. Citrates. Okay. Um, and that will, that can help to inhibit the, the creation of those crystals that mm-hmm. ultimately form into the stones okay so that's one preventative measure that you can take that's real easy okay also just um having a balanced diet as we talked about before mm-hmm. um which includes getting making sure you're getting the right amount of calcium so mm-hmm. that you can bind the oxalate so it doesn't right. mean you can't eat say chocolate mm-hmm. um spinach is also high in oxalate so yeah you, i was gonna so, say that yeah right right exactly so but you want to eat you know spinach is good for so many other reasons so you don't want to just stop eating it you right. want to make sure that you're getting it balanced with the right amount of calcium in your diet mm-hmm. um also eating wheat um rice barley and beans mm-hmm. those those kinds of uh, foods can help to reduce fibrous the, uh, foods i guess Fibrous foods, yeah, and also they there's there are compounds in those types of foods that can help to inhibit the formation of stones. Okay. Um, So, just but you know some of that's going to depend on what kind of stone you have. So Mm -hmm. again, you also you always want to check with your doctor, right? So Mm -hmm. this is kind of based on the fact that most most people who are diagnosed with kidney stones have calcium oxalate stones. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So that's kind of. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was oh, go just ahead. Go ask, ahead. You said there were four types of kidney stones. Like, is it? Do people tend to have one of the four, or is it possible for people to have different kinds? Yeah, you you could right. So typically, people have calcium oxalate stones, but if you have other kinds of disorders that may mm-hmm. contribute to other kinds of um, imbalances in your kidney, so like we were talking a few minutes ago about um, the struvite stones. Mm-hmm which tend to form when you have, say, a urinary tract infe- infection, mm-hmm. um, you could have that and you could have calcium oxalate stones at the same time. You know? So it's possible you could have you know, different kinds depending on what your condition is. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. And I, I have to ask this because Jason and I have known each other for so long and we've had so many meals together. I always <laughs> notice that you order unsweetened tea. Is that because you're, you, you want to stay away from the sugar? Uh, to prevent the kidney stones. Or? Yes, that okay. that's that's exactly okay. right. That's okay. exactly right. And so I didn't want to be I, creepy. Like I ain't trying to like, look at. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. And stuff. I'm just, <laughs> I just noticed that because I'm nosy. But yeah. <laughs> no, no. And so I mean, yeah, that's my way of trying to. I still want to enjoy the tea, but mm-hmm. not exacerbate the issue. Okay. So I'll okay. drink the tea, and also I will make sure that I follow that up with at least an equal amount of water, if not more. So I'll do that like later on. So if I have tea for lunch or something Mm -hmm. or with lunch Mm -hmm. for the rest of the day, it's Mm -hmm. just going to be water after that. Understood. Understood. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just was always wondering that because we live in the South and I'm like, don't nobody order no sweet tea. Yeah. You need the Northern version of of sweet tea. (laughs) Right. Exactly. 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 Yeah. Because, you know, when you order... I, you know, you have to be very specific, right? Because if you order mm-hmm. tea, they're going to bring you sweet tea oh, whether you yeah. ask for it or bring not, you right? sugar with It's going to be diabetes yeah. in a cup, for sure. <laughs> right. yeah. You're you going to be on dialysis, okay? <laughs> right, right, exactly. And the thing, too, about, you know, one other thing real quickly about that is just that when you're ordering drinks in a restaurant like that, particularly tea, and it's sweetened, sometimes you don't know what it's sweetened with. Mm-hmm. So another risk Ooh. factor that I forgot to mention is that these artificial sweeteners yes. can be a contributing factor as well. So since you don't know, it, you know, sometimes folks are, you know, restaurants are mixing, you know, with some of these others like, you know, special sweeteners mm-hmm. in to try to, mm-hmm. so they can save money on yeah. using a regular sugar. Which is expensive. Yes. Or something like that. Right. They're putting, yeah, it could be mm-hmm. some of those compounds like sweet and low or some of those other things where, um, you know, it. It certainly amps up the the sweetness uh, experience, but it's also adding all kinds of other compounds to the to the drink. So, something to be wary of is that you know when you're getting sweetened tea, you may not know, or it may not necessarily all be sugar based sweetener. It may be artificially enhanced with other okay. things. Okay. So something to be careful about too. So. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, Jay, that was an awesome, awesome overview. And uh, I want our listeners to understand that we don't just talk about careers, but we talk about a lot of things to make sure that your next stop is your best stop. And this is one of them. How to know, do I have kidney stones? If I ain't consuming too much chocolate and sugar, and I'm going to have a baby in my back, you know what I mean? Like, is this going to, like, what are we dealing with here? So if you are doing all of those things, and you're under stress, and you're not taking care of yourself, or it just might be something that runs in your family didn't know about and you're in pain go get yourself checked out go get yourself mm-hmm. checked out so like they say call your peoples drink some water yeah yeah, yeah and, that's right you know manage your stress levels because if we don't take care of our bodies now our bodies can't take care of us later right so jason i really do appreciate you opening up about what you've gone through and um and helping others that are listening um, and so they maybe can you know alter their lives so they don't have to go through this so this was good this was awesome so yes, thank you very much yeah oh certainly I'm, I'm happy to share if it, if it can help anybody avoid this i am yeah. i'm happy to to help in any way <laughs> well, cool well we unless uh dj unless you had other questions we'll go on to the next segment which was really the um the main topic of our our conversation this evening and that was what is an urban planner? <laughs> we 
we got um, some feedback when we had our first episode, and people we, we had a listener that thought, well, I thought y'all were gonna talk about who you what, like what are you guys doing? Like what do you do? And um, a lot of people don't know what urban planners are or what we do, um, and so we thought we'd take this podcast time to really uh, let you guys know how we became urban planners, what why we became urban planners and some tips we can give you if you're interested in urban planning or working in urban planning. So, um, who'd like to start? Anyone? I can start. I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't mind, and I'll, I talk a lot, so I'll make it quick. But um, I started uh, wanting to be an urban planner because I love geography. Uh, my undergraduate is in Earth and Atmospheric Sciences, so I got into GIS. And so I said, you know, what can a geographer do? What are some other titles? And I saw urban planner. Oh, this is great. So I didn't even know the school that I went to had an urban planning program and bam, got into it. Um, I learned that I love, I've always loved trains. I've always loved geography, uh, physical geography, cultural anthropology, people, the learning of people and the settling of, you know, villages and cities. And I love history and so urban planning kind of Combined all of those three, I ended up um, getting my master's in urban planning. And that's one thing most city planning or urban planning um, programs are master's level, unless you go into public policy, and DJ can talk more about that. Um, and so basically, um, I became an urban planner uh, however many years ago. I'm not going to date myself. <laughs> and uh, most of my jobs have been in transit planning. So basically, as a transit planner, I look at transportation systems within a city, within a, a community, and I work with agencies to um, within agencies to make sure that transportation systems are adequate. That we look at um, what was it going to be like in the future? Um, are we going to add more jobs, or adding more people, or adding more housing? Do we have enough transportation to um, handle all of that, right? Most people think of transportation, they think of roads, but it's much more than that. It's, it's the buses you see, it's the trains you see, or lack thereof, might I add, okay? And so that's what I've done as an urban planner. Uh, I'm doing something else right now, um, which has nothing to do with transit planning, but basically, if I could put it in a nutshell, a planner uh, studies or, or works to make sure that the quality of life of community members is is magnified, is maximized, you know, so that, you know, do you need better housing? Do you need better air quality? Do you need better sidewalks, pedestrian experiences, transit? Uh, what's the zoning like? Most people don't realize that they come face to face with urban planning until they deal with the zoning issue. Those are urban planners that are coming up with, well, hopefully they're urban planners. Lord Jesus, sometimes they're not. But, <laughs> you know, those are urban planners coming up with those, um, those laws and those policies about what can be in certain areas, right? Because, you know, if anybody can remember when the U.S. first started out, you know, you could have a dump next to a house. You know, if you think about Jane Jacobs, if you think about her writing what the, um, the New York tenements were like at the turn of a century, uh, that's really the beginnings of urban planning, at least in this country, trying to in increase the quality of life of, of those that live here in the United States. So um, that's my story. I'll add something at the end as far as like, if you want to be a, tra uh, a urban planner, what are some tips that I have for you? So I'll add that at the end. So DJ, Jason, jump in about your story. Okay, well, I guess I'll go next. You wanna go next? Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. 
So I guess the, the why behind um, wanting to be an urban planner, um, it's funny that you brought that up, Tamika, because I actually was really into geography as a kid as well. I used to go to the library. I'd just look at atlases all day and just, mm-hmm. you know, just fast. Globes, yes. Yes, absolutely. It definitely had to always have a globe on hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and also as a child and still as an adult, I have, uh, I think, healthy fascination with um city buses and mm-hmm. um, in my previous place of employment that's pretty much what I did mm-hmm. I um, I was in charge of the planning and scheduling of a local um, transit agency mm-hmm. so um, it basically it, it literally started out as a, a kid playing with bus schedules in my room and mm-hmm. taking my little hot wheels and picking up 10 people you know because it was just like I was either physically riding the bus mm-hmm. you know with my mom or I was at home pretending I was riding the bus <laughs> and it's funny they're like my um, my little brother has that same fixation he can tell you every single bus route in mm-hmm. the city and all that other good stuff so I guess it's genetic <laughs> wow wow uh, but yeah um, like Tamika was saying um, there are there are very few schools that are literally planning schools mm-hmm. um, between um, the U.S. and Canada, I would say there's maybe about a dozen of them where it's like this is a school for planning, just right. like you would go to a school for architecture or engineering. Right. Um, rather than that, you um, you would just find a master's program, and then mm-hmm. as far as being an undergrad, planning is a very curious, wide open field. You you truly can come from any field into Anywhere. planning. There, there are some um, fields that lend themselves to it more so, like you know, like public policy, public administration, uh-huh. um, mm-hmm. things of that nature. But I've seen people come from a literary arts background. Um, I know I've seen in my um, past job, I would always come across people who did various things that had nothing to do with transit, and then they just had to learn how to do that thing in a transit world, like coming from finance or IT. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a number of people came from the medical field. I don't wow. know why. Okay. But, um, yeah, it was, it, it, it's, you know, having worked at a transit agency is very rare that somebody came up through the ranks like, oh, I was at this transit agency and I was over here. Mm-hmm. It was just like, I saw an opportunity. I had you just kind of fall into it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that's what that's what people say. They're just mm-hmm. like, yeah, I saw the opportunity, and I got here, and I'm interested, and I'm 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 invested now. Yes. So, um, my my personal background is in public policy, and I have a um, degree with a concentration in planning and economic development. So, mm-hmm. um, I never, I was looking for it, you know, unbeknownst to me at the time, I was looking for a planning degree, not realizing that it didn't really exist at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very funny. I was I was in community college, and I was talking to um, one of my um, lab partners, and I was just trying to you know talk to her about what I thought I wanted to do, and I wasn't quite sure. And I thought I wanted to do transportation engineering, which mm-hmm. is which is more along the lines of building the physical infrastructure, transportation, like highways and rail mm-hmm. lines and things of that nature. And I kept talking to her, talking to her, and she just out of the blue was said, you know, it sounds more like you want to do the, the planning. Mm-hmm. And I just never had thought about it. Mm-hmm. So I started doing my research and, you know, trying to figure out how you go from public policy to transportation planning. And oddly enough, it's actually quite easy. Like we were saying, you know, you just... You mm-hmm. just have to find an in, and there you go. And 
um, you know, referencing back to previous episodes, um, that's actually how myself, Tamika, and Jason met. I, I more or less, for lack of a better term, shimmied my way into uh, <laughs> the, the local agency and, and made myself a little installation for some, some while and got some hands-on experience and said, you know what, this is, yeah, this is what I want to do. DJ you know? was very, very determined. <laughs> Let me put that out there, okay? Yes. <laughs> Polite persistence, that's what I call yes. it. Yes. That's right. That is paid that's, off, yeah. Yeah, yes, that's, yes. that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, just just to give a quick little chain reaction, because I, I definitely agree. Every every position that I've been in has been set up by the previous one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, used, mm-hmm. I used to work in a grocery store, you know, and I was in school, and I was working at the grocery store, and then, like I said, I saw an opportunity to kick my foot in the door, so that's how all three of us met and then from there um i got an opportunity to move a little closer to home and they told me that the only reason they kind of paid me any mind was because i was at the agency so that got me closer to home and and like officially into transportation planning and then from um doing projects with the local agency there i got into the local agency and now i'm moving from the local agency um back to the um private sector side so it's all full circle so that's my little story (laughs) absolutely absolutely um just real quickly because i'm smiling as i'm listening to um both of you as you're talking because so much of what each of you has said is so it touches on a lot of what i've experienced as well um yeah just to to kind of um to put it in a nutshell so long time ago at some point i I won't even start calling out years because i don't (laughs) want to date myself but at this point but i was kind of moving in that medical direction it's Mm -hmm. funny you mentioned that uh uh, dj and i was thinking that you know i was going to go into the medical field i was really fascinated with uh, radiology and you know Mm -hmm. that kind of um particular aspect of uh, medicine and i always had a fascination with uh, the, the technology and how it can be used to to help scan and identify issues with the circulatory system, right? Mm. And if you think about it, you know, not to sound too corny about it, but your circulatory system is like your your body's mass transit system, mm-hmm. right? It yeah, is the it transportation is. network that's moving all of your your uh, all of the products that you need for your cells and removing wastes and all of that. And I, I didn't realize at the time that that's what I was fascinated by. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, sometimes I think when you're younger, you just naturally gravitate to what you're called to do mm-hmm. and don't really realize it. Mm-hmm. So I started going down the medicine road and then realized by the end of um, my time in high school that, and I went to a, one of those specialty, like science high schools with, that had a particular focus on mm-hmm. on health and medical, medical mm-hmm. type fields. But by the end of that, I realized, I, I did start to see that, okay, this isn't quite where I wanna go. Um, and, I re- and I started to transition over into civil engineering. Mm-hmm. So I actually started undergrad as a civil, in the civil engineering program okay. and realized quickly, and, and, and DJ, you said something that was really powerful because I had a really great professor those first couple years who saw in me something that I didn't quite understand. And I, and I had a, a conversation with this professor about, you know, we went, we talked about the same thing I'm talking to you about now. And this professor, this is why having good professors is so important, mm-hmm. and mentors, mm-hmm. 
really saw and put two and two together and said, you know what, have you ever thought about urban planning? Have you thought about transportation planning oh. and things from that standpoint? Because all that you've said is seems to me like the questions that you have and that you're seeking answers to may not be able to be discovered on the path that you're on mm. and I was like my goodness you're the first person that's actually broke it down like that mm. and really that encounter launched I mean this is why having mentors and we can, this is probably going to be something we need to talk about too um, in the in the future is so critically important for anything you know yes. as you're developing um, that changed my life basically right mm. so after that encounter, I ended up, long story short, transferring from that university to another one and following a path similar to uh, Tamika. So I ended up in the basically the, the um, a program that was geography and earth science based. Within that, so at, at um, my undergrad that I transferred to, the urban planning program had been consolidated into geography kind of it's it all kind of it at one at, at one point planning was a separate thing and i think at some point they decided to just reintegrate everything into one department so which was great um but it wasn't obvious right i never would have known that had i not had that encounter with the professor at the other school which encouraged me to actually reach out to professors at the other school <laughs> <laughs> they invited me to come down and visit. So I, wow. I went down and visited. And um, that's when I just, and they explained what had happened. And, and they were saying like, look, if you try to look this up on our you know, university website, you won't really know what's happened because it doesn't do a good job of explaining oh, that. So they broke it down. And at that point I realized, and, and at first, you know how you're, you can be in denial about stuff for a while. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay. This was a great encounter, but you know, I don't want to upset my life. I'm, you know, a couple years into my program and it just wouldn't leave me alone. Wow. It's, it it dogged me all summer, even though I was doing an internship, in, you know, that was civil engineering based. I was working in a um, in a civil engineering firm, having great experiences. Wow. You know, I, I didn't regret any of that. But in the back of my mind, I started to realize I couldn't ignore it. So by the time I got through the internship that summer and was going back to school, I knew that something's gonna have to change or I'm gonna go crazy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, by the end of of that year, I had transferred. Wow. Transferred and that's that set me on a path into the urban planning world. Mm. Um, and it was um, transformative, you know, for me, I, I mean, I. I feel like this is, in my case, this is what I feel like I'm called to do. Mm -hmm. uh, this is, you know, for some may call it, some people may say that, you know, think about that as a ministry. I, I kind of think about it that way from my, from my perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, you know, I did ultimately complete undergrad with the geography program, ended up similar to Tamika, you know, going to uh, grad school, getting the, um, graduate degree in uh, city and regional planning and urban planning with a concentration in transportation planning specifically. And so that is uh, ultimately what led us all to meet each other yeah. at a certain point in our uh, career development. <laughs> oh, those, those are all great stories. We kind of, isn't it 
interesting that we all three like geography and <laughs> we ended yeah. up in planning because well, yeah. we like geography. But when you, it makes sense. Yeah, but we've all been planners for a while now. And when you think about it, we always see urban planning jobs, but do we ever see geography jobs? Because sometimes very, I wonder, should very. I have gone into geography? Because especially when I go into those night meetings and people start like getting <laughs> right. and I said, man, I should have just gone to work for National Geographic like I thought, you know? So, uh, but you know, I think job perspective wise, I think it was a good move. I, um, mm-hmm. and I, I do want to put this out here before time goes by is that, you know, we've all been in the field for a while now. And I think our listeners would do well knowing uh, what did we learn from being in the field? I know I've learned uh, my number one rule for my interns that are city planners and they come and work for me is that once you graduate, make sure that you go to a more progressive state. I'm not going to get into colors, okay? <laughs> All I'm saying is go to a more progressive state. Progressive states are going to have many more urban planning opportunities, meaning they're going to have, um, they're going to have, uh, jobs that pertain to the environment, that pertain to air quality, water quality, uh, ocean uh, or, or shoreline uh, preservation, things of that nature. The urban planning goes into all uh, facets of community building, right? And, and more progressive states are going to have more uh, opportunities for transit. People are going to believe in transit. They're going to support transit. So my career, after doing it this long, that is my biggest suggestion to people. Make sure that after grad school or after undergrad that you go some go to a state that supports you. Most people are not urban planners, right? And so it's a niche field. Yes. And so unless you want to just do day-to-day zoning, which you know some people want to do, not my not my shiz. Um, but <laughs> if you want to do day-to-day zoning, yeah, you can pretty much go anywhere. Uh, but if you really want to get into your field and you really want to explore and have a lot of opportunities and your job ladder be extensive, go to progressive states. I cannot stress that enough. Please, oh, I don't want to call out no state. I don't care. I'm going to call out a state. Please do not go to Mississippi, okay? I did it. I called it out. I'm sorry. I'm about to put my state in there too, Okay. Don't, don't do that. Don't limit yourself to that. Unless you're going to Mississippi for maybe historic preservation, which they're big on, preserving some things. Um, you, know, right. <laughs> <laughs> you want to focus in on states like Nevada. You want to focus, because again, people would never think urban planners belong in Nevada, but think about the Sierra Nevada, the Sierra, Sierra Range, right? That is all about preservation. It's all about you know preserving their environment and making sure you know that you still have snow caps. You know, uh, dealing with climate change. Planners do it all. California, Washington State, uh, uh, Portland, uh, uh, Oregon. I should have said. Uh, I can't. And, and some, you know, of course, New York. You know, Phil, uh, uh, I guess uh, Philadelphia and Pennsylvania and Maine and, and Vermont. Those places have something that they want to preserve and that they believe in. And so I would suggest, that's my biggest suggestion. Don't settle for a state that, you know, after this first job, no one's going to know what you do. Nobody. I don't know how many times I have been asked, oh, so you a planner? So do you like plan parties? No, I do not. <laughs> no, I do not. I do not plan parties. If I plan your party, you're going to be mad. 
because it's going to be salt-free hors d'oeuvres, okay? You're going to be mad. So that's, <laughs> With lots of water. Right? And lots of water, okay? Because we, we are here preventing kidney stones, okay? That's what So that's my biggest suggestion. Uh, DJ or Jason, do you, after yeah. working in the field, do you have a suggestion for those that are interested in urban planning? I personally would say, I'm going to dovetail off of what Tamika said, um, just, just as a quick segue, you, um, myself and Jason, as you can um, see, kind of dabbled with the engineering side and then kind of slipped over to planning. There, we could do a whole different episode about it. There is a vast difference between an engineer and a planner. Yes. However, mm -hmm. job-wise, you will see a lot of engineering jobs in planners' clothing. They, yes. it, they will literally say planner and you'll have to read through the job mm -hmm. description before you realize mm -hmm. this is a civil engineering job. Yes, that um, is correct. In my, in my time down in, uh, in Georgia, I encountered that a lot because I was, you know, trying to, I was trying to get my foot in the door and it's like, oh, okay, oh, this says entry level planner, this, that, and the other. And it's like, oh, this is civil engineering and this is for highways only. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So to just yeah. go off of what Tamika was saying, um, more progressive states are going to have a, a larger variety of things that are going to fall underneath the planning umbrella that you can partake of um, versus, uh, you know, more conservative states where as far as like transportation planning goes, it's it's literally highways and roads. Mm -hmm. So if, if mm -hmm. that's your thing, that's right. great. But if you're trying to be in like public transportation or alternative mm -hmm. transportations, you're, 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 you're going to have a very hard time finding a job. And that's excuse me, more or less what I ran into and a lot of my um, my fellow classmates ran into where we had we had to move north because there, there weren't mm -hmm. any opportunities in the deep south because that's just not where the focus was. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think what you were just mentioning, DJ, is, is so critical because what it comes down to is understanding what kinds of questions are you interested in pursuing the answers to. I think this is what, what my professor years ago was, was, was querying me about. And that is, you know, if you're interested in say, how to construct something, mm -hmm. the how of it, right? And how it's designed, you know, and if those are the kinds of interests that you have, that's, there's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's, a, that's something that needs to be delved into. And civil engineering is the kind of field that can really um, give you an opportunity to explore that, right? How do you, how can, can you know, how do you develop a more, you know, a, a design for a particular kind of, say, overpass that is, uh, requires less materials and that kind of thing. That's really important, right? That saves money, that saves taxpayer dollars. That's great. That's wonderful. Someone needs to do that. But if you're the kind of, if you are interested in why is the bridge there in the first place, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. why is the train station being put over here and not on, you know, a half a mile in the other direction, mm -hmm. how does the system work at it, from a network standpoint, as, as Tamika was mentioning a while ago, those are different kinds of questions. And so I would start with interrogating your yourself, mm -hmm. you know, investigate internally what am I really interested in, right? What is, what are the kinds of questions that really motivate me, and what kinds of ultimately, you know, if you're if you're looking to translate your 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 work into something that can say potentially serve the community, if that's an interest that you have, then think about how that does that manifest ultimately related to your interests, right? And then that ties into what DJ was saying because that's ultimately going to affect 
you know, perhaps where you seek out different kinds of experiences related to employment because there are certain kinds of work and certain kinds of um, values that are expressed in certain parts of the country. I mean, let's just be honest. That's what we're. That's kind of what we're getting at, right? I mean, the, the geography of values, as we are now seeing play out in real time, that's having a a very direct impact on people's lives, is is real, right? Geography matters. You know, that's kind of the. I think that's the theme for our discussion this year: is that geography matters. Yes. Whether it's political geography or any or um, the physical geography. Uh, is that that's important. And so, you know, kind of, you know, that's one of the reasons that I think we, geography, I think, is one of those foundational uh, fields mm-hmm. that unifies many, many, um, many, you know, other types of fields. So you've got geography ties into epidemiology. Mm-hmm. It ties right. into all kinds of um, public policy. It ties into, of course, planning, as we're talking about now. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that geography is, is a unifying agent. So, um, in addition to what others have said, I would say, you know, if you're going through school, you're thinking about how to set up your your um, your academic program. Mm-hmm. You know, if your school doesn't say have a planning program per se, one way you can get the kinds of experiences that are foundational is to go into a geography program. So yes. that's that's one thing I would Absolutely. suggest. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that I think you hear is common to 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 all of our experiences. And the cool thing about geography is that. You get a you get such a comprehensive exposure to a lot of experiences and skills, particularly geographic information systems and other kinds of analytical tools like, you know, the statistical package for the social sciences, SPSS. Those are critical kinds of tools that you're going to need at some point to do something in this field. So regardless of which type of planning you may decide to go into. GIS is critical, right? Even if you decide to jump out of geography or planning altogether, you're going to still run into GIS. Everybody's using GIS yes, right now at this correct. point. Mm-hmm. So, um, just so that, those are just you know my thoughts. Um, and one other thing I'll just add real quickly back on the mentorship piece mm-hmm. is that as you're moving through your academic career and then ultimately into your professional career, seek out mentors. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've had to learn is that. Um, Everybody is uh, not cut out to be a mentor. Um, oh, say it again for the people in the back. So just, just, yeah. to be, <laughs> just to be clear, you know, you may see someone in a certain position and think, wow, I really want to get to know this person because they, I mean, they, I want to know how they got to where they are and, you know, mm-hmm. they could perhaps um, provide guidance to me. And that may be, yeah. you know, on the outside, so they may appear that. to be the case, but be careful with the kinds of relationships you form with some people. Not everybody in those positions is interested in helping other people get right. to where they are. Some people in those positions are interested in keeping their position. Mm-hmm. That's what they're interested in. They're not interested in helping you or anyone else. Mm-hmm. So that's a lesson that I've experienced um, in certain places. We can talk about that in the future at yes. some point. <laughs> but. Yes. Um, so just a, just something to, to watch, and you can you you'll be able, you'll know who who is is a good person to partner with um, based on how they treat other people. So look at how they treat other um, staff members and how they treat um, other folks in the in the structure, whether it's on the academic side or the professional side. Watch for that, and be careful who you're you as they say hit your wagon to, mm-hmm. and find those people who really have a heart for 
um, for mentorship and guidance. And if you connect with those people, those folk, those kinds of relationships can be life transforming. They really can. That's uh, great advice. I um, also wanted to add that um, as far as new skill sets to be an urban planner that not necessarily weren't available to us when we all started was data analytics. Data is everything. So yes, absolutely. if you want to add a little spice to your urban planning career is to get into data analytics. Uh, the tableaus, the, um, yep. oh, yeah, uh, there's, uh, there's another one that starts with a P. Um, I forgot the name of it. Um, friend hates it but anyway uh it's, it's a it's definitely a uh a skill set that you can uh add on to that really is going to help um and it help you know it really could help broaden your your uh opportunities is uh just to have that data analytics background so mm-hmm. um yeah i mean that's kind of how we all got here and maybe that will give our listeners give you guys a, a, a kind of a glimpse into why we think the way we think Right. As we go along in these, this podcast and more and more episodes, I want you guys to understand why we think the way we think and, and why. And because there, there's there's science behind there's behind the madness or whatever. There's a reason why um, we may bring up certain topics because we see the world in a di- from a different lens. Right. Almost from everybody's got to live here. So what's the best way to live here? Right. And not everybody sees the world through that lens. So. Um, yeah, I mean, that's who we are. Uh, mm-hmm. If you guys, um, you know, you know, next stop is the best stop, next stop, best stop at gmail.com or our IG at next stop, best stop. You know, give us some comments on what you think about urban planning, questions you may have about urban planning. We'd be happy to answer them uh, because not everybody knows. I think my dad still doesn't know what I do. So, uh, <laughs> you know, my mother is slowly figuring it out because she goes to all the, the community meetings. So okay. and that's one thing I will add is that as a mother, um, urban planning has become tough for me as a career because don't let anybody fool you. It's a lot of hours. It's a lot of hours uh, because you think of your clientele, think of your stakeholders, your stakeholders are the community. You can't meet at noon because your community members are at work for the most part, right? Unless they work from home, unless they're um, mothers or fathers that, you know, stay, they work with their children in the home. So um, that's one thing I want to keep everybody abreast of is that there are long hours, you know, um, so you have, whether you're in the private industry, whether you're in the public domain, Mm -hmm. please keep that in mind. And there are certain little niches that you can do within urban planning that maybe don't have those types of hours. Um, uh, you know, but zoning, transportation, uh, e- anything where you're dealing with the public face and that you're passing laws and passing policies and it is your agency's um, uh, policy to make sure that you notify your community members about any policy changes, that comes with night meetings. And we have all been through those. And, um, you know, just keep, keep that in mind. You know, as you tra- if you want to be a mother or you want to be a father, uh, keep that in mind as an urban planner that, hey, I might have to switch to something else in urban planning. Like I switched to campus planning because my stakeholders are only on campus from eight to five, right? Mm-hmm. So that made a big difference in my, you know, my life and my work-life balance. So that's just one last thing I'll add. Uh, anybody got anything else? Um, I would say to, to add on to that, um, lots of presentations. Yes. And, um, I, I know it's a sore spot for some people. There's a 
a healthy amount of um, public speaking. Yes. Um, I I myself am an introvert, but I am somehow able to make an exception for things that I'm very passionate about and that I feel knowledgeable Mm -hmm. on. So although Mm -hmm. I still get worn out afterwards, I can can sit there and, and, and... you know, talk a, a blue streak about transportation right, because it's right. it's it's like I'm there. I want to I want you, the public stakeholders, to hear the ideas that we've come up with. I want to hear what you think of them. I want to hear what you're thinking about something else. Maybe we can incorporate them. And it's just kind of like a big back and forth, like you mm-hmm. know, mental exchange. And I think it's great. But you know, just that's just something to keep in mind for the the shyer the shyer ones of us in the you know bunch. So. Yeah, it's something that can be worked on. There's there's always like Toastmasters or, or things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll help you with your public speaking. So it, all is not lost. That is, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, yeah, and that, that doesn't come natural to everyone. So mm-hmm. that's something yep. to, to think about. And let me tell you, when you get to these public meetings and they start talking about and you're there to present a new transit project and they talk about their water bill, it will wear you down. You know, people mm-hmm. talk about their water talk bill. About everything that is not that is not related. You're like, why are they at this meeting? So it really takes a lot of thick skin, a lot of patience in dealing with Ooh, the public because yes. you know, they're fussing at you because they either don't want the project or they do want a project, it's not coming fast enough. We talked about this twenty years ago, you still keep talking about the same right. thing over and over again. So you're actually having to save face. And to right. represent your agency and give the right. facts. You so are the face. you are the face, yeah. right? And give the yeah. facts they, with a straight they, face. You know how they feel. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You're just as frustrated as they are because nine times out of ten, you probably live in the same community, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's right. That's one thing to think about. So if you don't like public speaking and you don't like um, uh, dealing with the public, I say go GIS. For, <laughs> let that be your focus. <laughs> Data analytics and GIS in urban planning and you'll do well because you don't have to talk to people be the ones that make the maps for the meetings okay there you go hey and that's important that's very important getting those and getting those maps created in a way that's legible and understandable that's that's really that's important it's important and you don't have to be up front but your role Mm -hmm. is crucial so yeah that's right what yeah, one other thing I'll just add real fast. Uh, everything is that everyone has said is so important, but um, I would just say that um, understanding how to write in a cogent manner is is yes. really important. Yes. So I think sometimes when we're in school, there's this tendency to put out a lot of volume. Mm-hmm. Um, so we write these reports. You know, in some cases, I think we want to demonstrate to our professors that you know we know the material and that we know lots of information. And you know, at some point. You know, professors kind of want to see that, but um, if you're in a good program, they will they will begin to hopefully work with you to streamline your writing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, understand that less is more, mm-hmm. especially once you get to the professional world. Nobody's gonna read a long memo that you put together, right. and send it or a long email you put together and send to your you know, you know your, the head of your department for something. Mm-hmm. Nobody's gonna it. It's just gonna. Get, go, it'll get lost in their inbox right. and they're not going to know what you're talking about mm-hmm. and then they're, they're going to get frustrated right because nobody wants to or has time mm-hmm. to process that much information so the it's a critical skill and this takes a while to develop right you we get some practice of, you know doing this in graduate school but when you get into a professional environment you will really have to hone that pretty quickly and learn how to communicate the the, the critical items 
and provide the key information to your leadership, but also to the community. That's one thing that the community expresses a lot of frustration about too, is that too much information. They can't handle yes, it. they can't handle it. <laughs> yeah, they're the, the really how to put, like he said, in a cogent format that the public can understand. Sometimes even your supervisors, that they can understand. Yeah, right, you know? well, yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point because we're all in the weeds. So how do you get out of the weeds, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's a good point. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. Well, anything else before we end this section and, and end it with our weird, rare highlights or facts that anybody <laughs> might have? Okay. I think I think we we've uh, we've covered Come a lot everything? of things. Yeah, I think so. I would say one other cool skill that we can talk about more about later. Mm-hmm. That's that's new on and it's really come about in the last few years. Mm-hmm. That's got that's creating lots of new and interesting opportunities is uh, associated with with drones yes. and learning how to fly a drone so we'll talk more about that there's just so many interesting mm-hmm. and uh, doors that having experience with operating a drone can mm-hmm. open too so that's right that is mm-hmm. right it's big in real estate and we i don't think oh. we added real estate is also a uh you know a focus that you can go into for urban planning yep. i know a lot of people that go into real estate development they become realtors and those those uh, particular segments use drones a lot, you know, but you can also use drones to look at brownfields and to look at shoreline development or depletion, kind of like what's going on uh, where we have so many hurricanes, you know, those types of things. So Jason, that's a great point. Actually, I wouldn't mind getting into that. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think it's something that at some point everybody's gonna probably need to know how to do. That. Yeah, I want to have my personal drone to come get yeah. my kids from like basketball and football. You know what I mean? I want to I be mean, seriously, right? Dial them up and be like, "Drone Timmy, please go get these kids." You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so yeah, that's a good point. That's a great point. That's a great point. Well, I will go ahead and I picked out a few weird facts or highlights. Um, I'll do like two of them for my little site uh, that I picked out. So um, let's see. Let's see. Central Park was bought for $5 million and today is worth over $500 billion. Right. And uh, I will leave a link in the show notes about who who was living in Central Park. Uh, before it became Central Park, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yes. You know. You know. Yes. Yeah. So I'll leave a link, and so you can read the history about Central Central Park and the inhabitants that were there. Um, and the other thing that I will add is, without food coloring, Coca Cola would be green. Ew. Ooh. Oh wow. Ew. Ew. <laughs> Ew. And I'll say this: I saw a meme on Instagram the other day that said that when uh, for, for all my uh, non-black listeners, this is when black old black people tell you, I don't drink sodas, okay? When they say that, they are not talking about Sprite or ginger ale. They are talking about the dark colored sodas. I mm-hmm. died when I heard those that. Yeah, those are <laughs> facts, okay? So if you hear an old black person say, I don't drink, I don't drink that. And you know what they're talking about. They drink ginger ale and Sprite because that's medicine, okay? But anyway, without food coloring, Coca-Cola would be green. So keep that in mind. Anybody else have any weird uh, facts or highlights they want to share? Sure, I'll give you one. The city of London is much older than the actual country of England that it's located in. Wow! I did mm-hmm. not know that. Yep, the city of London was established in 47 AD and England is... 
established in the 900s AD. Okay. Yeah, because wasn't it called Londinium at one point? Long oh, wow. You know, that, oh, correct, sir. Yeah, wow. that's what. That, yeah, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, it's it's one of those. Yeah, it's it's one of those cities that has has survived multiple fall rise and falls of <laughs> various I was say, plagues. Into millennia. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. Yes, yeah. yes, that's awesome. So, yeah, I've got one real quick. Okay. Um, Maya Angelou, um, in this, in in addition to being you know a consummate poet. Was also a streetcar operator in San Francisco. I did see that. Yeah. Yes, yes. I saw. I read that somewhere. She she wanted to be one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, yeah. That so just a uh, interesting. Uh, you know, you just never know how uh, how people are. Uh, you know how people are more than one thing, right? Yes. We kind of see it one aspect of someone and don't realize just how you know. And her, you know, she's had such a fascinating life mm-hmm. in so many ways, but. That's just a kind of an interesting tidbit that kind of intersects with um, the kind of work that we're, you know, interested in. Lives unfolded, awesome. Rao. That's awesome. That is yeah. awesome. Well, I appreciate both of you, and I appreciate our audience uh, for spending time with us t- tonight. And uh, we're, you know, we're here to, to help you make your next stop your best stop. So that means, hey, no kidney stones, and that means, hey, making the right decision as an urban <laughs> planner, right? So that's drink, right. Drink your water and get a good mentor. Okay. That's right. All right. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, you'll see us again in three weeks. And uh, if you have any topics or suggestions for what we should talk about, please reach out on IG or through our Gmail. We'd be glad to hear from you. Guys, anything else to close us out? I think I'm good. You're good? Okay. I think we're good. All right. Awesome. Well, good talking to you guys. We'll see you in three weeks. All right, take care. Sounds good. All righty. Bye. Bye. See you next time. This train is bound Creek Station.